to The Third Wheel. This is episode 5 of The Dragon Reborn, and today we are talking about chapters 37 through 44 in this third book of The Wheel of Time. I'm Tyler, and joining me are... Bjorn. And... And Jesse. Sweet. You know, before we started... Oh, the... Record with me, Jesse. I'm swaying back and forth. Record with me, Bjorn. <laughs> Listen, that's all I got. I really like that part. Prolonged thumping. Not like that. <laughs> I would like it to be known for the record that... Um, both Jesse and Bion are better at recording than I am because they both stopped me from actually thumping on something during that very shortened intro. I also edited it out when you did it at the end of the last episode. Yeah. Little inside baseball. And thank God for that. The hero we need. Yeah. Yeah. This section has some info on the Aiel. It turns out the Aiel are pretty cool. When people talk them up, it's not undeserved. Let's just jump right into it so that we can get past this first part where Egwene is the point of view character. <laughs> so chapter 37, Fires in Kyrian. The Wonder Squad is on their way downriver on a ship. And they are already a few days into their journey. They're posing as full Ace Sedai for this, which is almost certainly illegal. <laughs> I, I don't think you need the almost. <laughs> um, yeah, they're wearing their rings on their right hand. That's how you know they're lying. Yeah, they're heading to Tyr as fast as they can on this ship. Along the river, there are many villages that have been burned and abandoned. And Egwene is doing her best Aes Sedai impression and trying not to let it get to her. She's like, there's nothing I can do, therefore I don't care. Um, she's had more dreams since leaving Tarvalin, but none of them are things that we haven't seen before. Or they're all obvious that they're not really worth discussing. They're not obvious to her. They're not obvious to her, but it's like, oh yeah, I, I, Rand is on puppet strings. I pulled out this one. In one dream, Matt had been on a huge stones board, the black and white stones as big as boulders, and him dodging the monstrous hands that moved them and seemed to try and crush him under them. It could have meant something. <laughs> yeah, and like... You don't say. It could have meant something. Yeah, like Rand is on puppet strings and the hand that's holding the puppet strings is on bigger strings and like... Yeah. And a man that looks like nothing is following Matt. I don't know. It's a, the biggest, fattest thinking emoji You've it's not like seen. you just had a run-in with a gray man, like, yesterday. I mean, we know that, but she doesn't, but, like... She had a run-in with a gray man the day, like, two days before. Well, that's true. I mean, she does figure it out, to be fair. She's like, oh, it's probably a gray man. I should have warned him. The only two things that are new are... Um, she sees Matt with an illuminator, which, hey, guess what? Comes true real fast. Yeah, faster than most of the prophecies in these books. Were we informed what an illuminator was before this? Yes, in book yeah. two. Okay. And book one. How much was it explained? 
Uh, uh, do you remember the bit in book two where Rand is escaping from Kyrian and he ducks into that guild house that explodes? That's them. That uh, he makes explode. Yeah. With he, some Home Alone shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, make sure that your phrasing is correct. It doesn't just explode. Rand explodes Don't. it. <laughs> no passive voice. No. Rand exploded the Illuminator Guild Hall. Yeah, which Aludra is the one that was running it. And if you remember, I made a whole point about her yelling, Tammuz, you great pig, and Tammuz is the guy that hunts her down. This is that character. Oh. Yeah. I see. Tavarin. Yeah. Tavarin. Tavarin. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yep. Yes. To be completely honest, I forgot that Matt met an Illuminator during this sequence, and I thought this was referencing an event like ten books from now, and I was like, wow, Jordan really is sowing these seeds ahead of time. But it turns out he was sowing the seeds like five chapters ahead of time. He's a hack. <laughs> um, and then uh, she also sees White Cloaks ravaging the two rivers, which... Call me back next book. Elaine comes up to join Eggy on deck, and they have a talk about empathy between Andor and Kyrian and the girls and the peasants whose homes are burning to the ground. There's some fun character bits in this. There Doesn't are. feel like totally pointless. No, but it's not. I Elaine... think Tyler's bias against them shows in his notes about them. I didn't mind reading this chapter. Well, then let's hear from you. What did you think about this conversation? It was somewhat entertaining, at least. Compared to other ones where people are on boats, it is not the bo- it is not the worst boat chapter I have read. You know, boats boats do consistently give the worst chapters in the series. They do. That's true. They very much do. So for being on a boat, it's not that bad. If you have to be on a boat. If you have to be on a boat, it's interesting to see them try and play to be Aes Sedai and have Nanave and the girls. Nanave versus the girls dynamic is always interesting to see, at least for me, and um, how others relate to them, even if these Aes Sedai look a little young. Well, Aes Sedai can look a little young, so it's fine. The way that people just fill in the gaps... Yeah, most people don't know enough to know the difference. Yeah. They're just like, Aes Sedai look weird. Like, people will literally think that someone doing sleight of hand tricks is an Aes Sedai. Well, yeah, we've, we as readers have already come a long way from, like, back in book one, where they had no idea what was up when Moraine showed up, and... Everything was new and strange to us as far as what an Aes Sedai could and couldn't do. Yeah, we didn't know what an Accepted was then. No. But we've accepted that knowledge since then. Also the description of the clothing. Oh, It continues. Wait, are you saying you liked it? Well, I didn't hate it because it was talking about the, the wool versus the white that'd been wearing... And how the Third brown will... Two rivers woolens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you, um, you have no idea how much discussion there will be of good two two rivers wolves. You know, wool's very important to them. And it was just 
I suppose I would call this chapter nice. Not great, not wonderful, not awe-inspiring, not amazing, (laughs) you should read this book. But for this many-chaptered, multi-booked adventure, I didn't hate it. Fair. Wow, that's high praise from Beyond. I feel like I just have to defend the Wonder Squad whenever you do it, because your notes are always so derisive. You're like, ugh, they did things. Well, they're kind of dumb sometimes. I mean... But they're like, what, 15 to 17? They're 17. 17? Well, the knave is like 23. She's 24. Yeah. yeah. The knave is our age, so she at least has... And that's why she's the only one that looks like she knows what she's doing. She's just really angry all the time. Think about what would happen if you're, like, if the president of our company was like, take these two 17-year-olds... And go find some people. Also, they might kill you. Bye. <laughs> like. I'd be so mad. Yeah, see? Uh, yeah, Nanave. So. Egwene is chafing under Nanave's supposed leadership. Yeah, because Nanave keeps being right. <laughs> which apparently really sucks to be around. They strike a sunken ship underwater, and Nadeve goes and talks to the captain, and when she comes back, she's like, we're gonna walk, and if we get there, if we get to the next town before the boat, we'll wait for the boat, and if the boat gets there before us, it'll wait for us, but we're not gonna just sit here and wait for however long it takes. And then, yes, this is when it comes to light that Egwene and Nadeve have pretty much been fighting continuously since they left the tower. So, the Wonder Squad goes on shore and begins their walk. Uh, Egwene makes it very clear that she will fight brigands with the power if they come upon her, and that she won't be surprised. I won't be surprised. Skips to the end of the next chapter. I won't surprised. Be, I won't be surprised by brigands. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> it's not brigands. Well, no. No. <laughs> An Aiel pops out, and um, I've misspelled the word here in my notes. It says An Aiel pops out and surprises them, which <laughs> does not sound like An Aiel, but is very entertaining. Uh, to be le- more like the two rivers surprises everyone else. Yeah. Well, they are surprising people. So, chapter 38 Maidens of the Spear. The There's new characters everywhere. Yeah. We just got Fael, now we got another one. Yeah. Uh, we're about to get, like, four in this chapter. Uh, the Aiel is a woman and announces herself as Avienda of the Nine Valley Sept of the Tarad Aiel and Fardar Mai, a Maiden of the Spear. They have a lot of titles. Beyond looks like they're dying. I was just trying to think of how I was pronouncing that. I want to hear it. Avienda of the Nine mm. Valleys, set of the Tarad Ail, and Far Daris May. They're Irish. <laughs> Does A V I E N D H A look Irish? Don't worry about that. I mean, it's it, it's not like with the whole Suarze sort of thing. I mean, both of your pronunciations were, like, pretty close. Wait. Just whoa. with a bit more flair on Beyond's. Yeah. Mine was audiobook accurate. 
Oh, great. Who cares about that? Yeah, apologies for referencing the pronunciation in the audiobook. Listen, I can just cherry pick the ones I like. So Avienda says that the Wonder Squad is a lot like their wise ones back in the waste. And hey, the wise ones can heal people. Can you heal people? Because one of our people needs heal. Uh, so <laughs> Nineveh agrees. And as they start to walk, Egwene's like, this is fine. We have like 200 paces before we get anywhere that they could pop out of. And then they pop out 10 feet away from her. She's like, there's no point in holding the power. They could have just killed me. <laughs> and they could kill me now. And she's very uncomfortable about this. Yeah. This is so close to being caged. So the two that popped out are Bane and Chiad, more maidens. While they're on the way to their dying companion, they talk to Egwene and Elaine about lots of Aiel customs, including First Sisters and some of the finer points of Far Darismai and the Wise Ones. I had to reread this section a couple times because I was confused as to what the specific terminology meant with first sisters being uh, actual sisters and then second sisters being cousins, yes. but lady cousins. Yes. You can also uh, ceremonially become first sisters. So, yeah. so rather than being blood brothers, you're first sisters. Yeah. Which, I mean, cool. Ladies can get the first sister dynamic. Yeah. Th and this section is the beginning of us getting very in the weeds about Aiel culture and the running joke of people not understanding Aiel culture and someone saying something and an Aiel looking at them like they're crazy or stupid. That's going to be like the rest of the series. Hope you like it. Mm, cultural miscommunications. Yeah. Well,. It is interesting, I was just thinking, I don't think there's any, like, first brother situation, because there's no cross-pollination between the um, different clans, like there is with the Maidens. Uh, Jesse, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Maidens are the ones, because they call out in this that, like, they are each part of their own clan, and if the clans fought, the Maidens wouldn't fight each other. There are other... So they have clans and they have societies, yeah. and all societies cross over clan lines, and there are more societies than just Fardurai Mai. Yes. It's all- I don't really remember them, but they exist. It turns out Aiel culture is really complicated. Is it like when we refer to the continent of Asia as a monolith, when in reality- there's many identities beyond Japanese, Chinese, Korean. And in fact, there's many other tiny countries like Laos. I... Kinda, except the Aiel kind of are a monolith. They are a monolith until... Yeah. Yeah. They're a monolith for most purposes. Like, it's not until they start getting really specific that they're not a monolith. But for the most part, you can assume that they are monolithic. And they, like, relate to each other as Aiel. Yeah, they, like, have infighting, but to anyone, to any character that isn't an Aiel, they are a monolithic culture. And to the Aiel relating back to any character that isn't Aiel, they are a monolithic culture. Like, it's only within themselves that it's complex. Okay. And, like, as far as questions of war and stuff like that. War and ceremony. Yeah. So, they get to the 
lady that got stabbed, whatever her name is, she dies in this section, so who cares? Uh, Maeve starts to break out the herbs and the powders, and eventually works herself into enough anger to use the power to heal. Yeah, seems like she doesn't really have too much of a problem no. making herself angry. No, I think it just needs to be the right situation, and also it takes her, you know, 15, 20 seconds to actually get started, whereas other Aesidae can just, you know, pop it. I mean, uh, a few books from now, we hear from another wilder Aesidae, Mm-hmm. And she says that every wilder has a trick, which is something that they can do regardless of their mental block around channeling. Hmm. And I guess Nanaves is healing, which makes sense. Uh, well, she does. But she still needs to get mad, I guess. But well, I assume she's making herself mad enough to just use the power for whatever she wants. Mm-hmm. But I mean. She was using the power on people back in Eamon's field without realizing it. Isn't a knave Sith? What? I'm sorry. With the whole anger and the power thing, that's where my brain just went. I mean, every wilder has a mental block around channeling. This other one I'm referring to, her mental block, is that she can she used to only be able to channel if there was a man she was attracted to around. Mm. Great. Uh, Perfect. But You know what's going to attract a mate? weird magic powers yeah i think later on there's a character that talks about uh wilder blocks and says i i would have just beaten it out of you and you would have either died or the block would have been removed wow yeah and the knave has a harder time with it than most wilders yeah but she also didn't burn out like a lot of wilders are known to do correct yeah because moraine says she's safe like, mm-hmm. she, if she just stayed behind... She's she, past the point of danger. Yeah, she wouldn't die. Egwene had to go, because she was not past that point. So in a way, Nynaeve's block also benefited her, because she could function with it. Correct. Both in the sense of use it functionally, and also not... Not kill herself. Not kill herself. But now it's a detriment, because now she wants to be able to channel on command as an Aes Sedai, and she can't. Because she's self-protected. Yes. Unless she's angry. Congratulations, you've played yourself. Basically. <laughs> uh, this is, Nineveh is suffering from success. <laughs> Knuckle your forehead. Yeah. Wow, really? So, Eggy and Elaine are talking with Bane Chiad and Avienda about the Ail serving Aes Sedai, uh, who they will and will not hurt or kill. And then we get another reference to whatever Balefire is. Wink, wink. Sure are talking a lot about Balefire. I'm looking at Beyond. Big fire. Great. Perfect. Amazing. Chapter 39. Threads in the Pattern. Uh, Finishing up, the Wonder Squad tells the Maidens that they're heading to Tyr to hunt Dark Friends. And then they go on their way with a hey, thanks for healing our friend. But the Aeel get super shook when they, they mention what they're doing. Well, the Aeel are just generally shook by Aes Sedai. I mean, yes, they do get shook, but like... Because they specify three Aes Sedai or three wise ones going to the Heartstone or whatever. Yeah. 
the Stone of Tear. Well, I know, but... but oh, the, the Heart of the Stone, yes. Yes, I'm pretty sure they say the Heart of the Stone or Heartstone specifically. And they the, the, the way, at least when I read it, it seemed as if there was some Aeol prophecy or something foretold in which the three Aesodai going to this location for this specific thing has been foretold and must be protected or enforced or something something well in the wetlander prophecies they say that the people of the dragon shall arrive in tear and then the stone of tear will fall yeah but but who are the people of the dragon oh i have no idea what could it possibly be who's the dragon wait we know who the dragon is but who's this he who comes with the dawn also, this is the part where um, Elaine talks about how the Aiel didn't see war as war, and um, Iggy says a quote that I really like but didn't copy down, but basically says, how can these people not see that this is a war? Um, and it just made me think about how my perspective of an individual living in a Western society, particularly America, that at least made me laugh with a war not being considered a war. I mean, as far as the Aiel are concerned, it's they don't think of it as a war because most people can't fight back against Aiel. Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea is, like, if the Aiel had wanted to go to war, they would have just killed everyone. Yeah. Like, they were only there to kill a single criminal. It just so happens that there were a couple armies in the way. <laughs> Sucks to be them. It was just an execution for cutting down this tree. It's a really important tree, guys. Yeah. Don't cut down the tree. Uh, Kyrenin? Kyrenin? I hate trying to pronounce that word. Uh, are also, or used to be called water sharers by the Aiel, and they used to be allowed to cross the wastes for trade. It's now they're like tree a... killers. Yeah. Although they call wetlanders in general tree killers as well sometimes, I think. Yeah. Also, Tyler made me realize my assumption about wastes being radiation. Um, we already talked about you being wrong about that on the podcast. I specifically remember. Well, I guess I forgot, and I kept assuming there was magic radiation. My apologies. Well, No, it just sucks to be there. Yeah, it's just a big desert so trees and water are very important yeah don't and disrespect shade. it shade and water i mean avienda says that until coming across the spine the most water she had seen was a stream she could step across so like and she promises the the blood debt i'll give you my water and shade yeah and a knave's like i mean i guess thanks but no thanks we're leaving but we we gotta go. Uh, Elaine starts a conversation about he who comes with the dawn, which it's Rand. Guess what? Surprise! Surprise! It's Rand. It's all about Rand. Suddenly, a group of men appear from the trees and sling rocks at the squad's head. They go down. Should have stayed prepared, Egwene. Yeah, really. Uh, and when Iggy wakes up, she's been captured and is being held by a group of thugs and ruffians. 
I do think it's interesting when she is doing the assessment of determining what's happened to her. There is the mention of um, sexual assault and being glad it didn't happen and also wanting to herself to not have that thought. But in a way, it gives an unfortunate realism for how women are in general treated, but then also specifically in this world, those problems that continue. Yeah. I mean, Robert Jordan is pretty light-handed with that as far as like a lot of pretty grim fantasy goes yeah there's a couple times that it is that it comes up in a pretty harsh way in the series but it's not like widespread i guess what i'm saying is i even though unfortunate i appreciate that that statement is acknowledged because it makes sense that it would occur to her yeah yes yeah i guess i should say during the series like you would have to choose to interpret there are statements there are only a couple of things that fall outside of your interpretation being allowed to just be like regular torture as opposed to sexual torture like only a couple times do they stray far enough down that path where you couldn't choose to interpret it uh, in the other way Yeah, this isn't the sort of truth. No, nor is it Game of Thrones. Which I sincerely appreciate. Good. Yeah, so this group of bad dudes knows that the squad is Aes Sedai, uh, and they're talking about selling them to someone. Uh, Luckily, they have all been afflicted with the big dumb, and (laughs) Egwene is left alone and unchained, and also the cell that they're in, no one's watching them. Yeah, why would you put three very powerful witch ladies in together and leave one of the powerful witch ladies with full access to herself? I think they're all unchanged. Or unchained. Unchanged. They they were drugging them in shifts, right? Yes, but still. (laughs) I mean, you don't even chain them up or, like, put them in a room where you can see them. That's a lot of reliance on dosages from someone we realize later in this chapter who heard it from his grandma and doesn't <laughs> seem like he's the most practice herbalist I, it says in my notes that he has the big dumb like, <laughs> that sums it up it sums it up pretty yeah. well uh, yeah so Eggy wakes up the other members of the squad and then the people that were going to buy them are Merdral and they've arrived not a good look. Uh, just as the girls break free of their cell and are about to attack, the Aiel sweep into the room, tearing the brigands apart. Uh, Egwene says that, like, before she even notices what's happening, uh, two of the Aiel are dead, all of the brigands are dead, and the three Merdral are back to back in the center of the room with like six Aiel circling around them, tapping out on their shields and saying, dance with me. Yeah, I don't know why you're so attached to this. Because, like, okay, up until now, the only people that can't channel that have fought Merdral are like Lan, who... It hasn't been explicitly established, but seems pretty implicitly clear that he is, if not the best, then one of the best swordsmen in the world. And, like, 
people like Intar go up against them one-on-one and are like, I guess I didn't die. And the Aiel come in and are immediately, like, inspiring fear in them and are, like, taunting them. Which is just so out of line for anything else that we've seen. It immediately sets the bar that, like, if these are just random Aiel that are running around because, oh, it's time for the prophecy, we might as well go out and look for it, then, like you have established that this entire society are people that clown on monsters who <laughs> everybody else like cries themselves to sleep thinking about having to fight one. Yeah. These are Aiel randos and it's it's pretty easy. Yeah, and they're like bumping their style meter up from S to SS by hitting the taunt button at these Myrtle. Like it's great. And then the squad gets themselves together and it's like, we're done with this. Uh, Egwene burns the Myrtle alive. Elaine crushes them together. And the knave shoots some sort of bar of white energy light and seems to just wipe them from existence. I wonder what could it be? Well, Eggie says... Whatever this Balefire thing people keep talking about is, it was that. Yep. I think she laments that she wasn't watching, so she doesn't know how. So she couldn't use her Sharingan on it. Yeah, seriously. Well, like, I, I don't she know. She really likes fire, so... Well, and Eggy is definitely the type to be like, oh, a stronger weave, you say? Maybe I should learn that. Let me add it. Yeah. Um, and then Nenev gets sad because the person she just healed and the person she was talking to about the culture is also dead. And they get to learn things which the Aiel think they're silly for, which is about the weapons from the Dark Friends being extra bad. Yeah. They're Thakandar blades. They're extra real bad edgy swords. <clears throat> once, once, once you're struck, you're dead. One of the Aiel... Another named character named Ruark, who, hey, Jesse, much like the others, is a character going forward. Hmm. Is he... Whoa, you sound unhappy with that. There's a lot of Aiel. There are. That's true. Uh, yeah, Ruark is there, and he seems like a chill dude. So the squad decides that in the morning they're going to move out and head to the village that they got captured before they could make their way to. Uh, they all camp out under the stars for the night, which is kind of fun. Uh, and then they make their way to the village in the morning. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about the Aiel in here. But I didn't write it all down, because I didn't want to accidentally say too much. He just wrote, There's a lot of good flavor in here. Yes. Suffice it to say, it's complicated. It's complicated. The Aiel are complicated people. It's interesting, though. Yeah. I am actively interested, as opposed to yeah, it's earlier. Definitely one of the, it's definitely one of the things that the most effort was put into. Yeah. It's good. Good job, magic gingers. They're not even magic. Evolutionary talented gingers. Yeah. So... 
The girls get on a ship, and they're back on their way downriver to Tyr. Chapter 40. A bloody hero in the night. <laughs> there's no... Who could that... Uh, there's no hero here. There's no bloody heroes in this night. Uh, so Matt and Tom arrive in one of the many villages that's having a bad time. <laughs> Further down the river, uh, they call out that, like, hey, some Dumbo got himself stuck on something in the river. Good thing we passed that guy. <laughs> he sucks. And Matt has opened and read Elaine's letter. Yeah. Sneaky boy. Which, I mean, he also opens and burns the contents of a firework later in this section. So he's, he just wants to open things. And he isn't a big hungry boy anymore. No. But he hates the captain so much that he's been taking that amount of food and just throwing it over the side. Bian looks very upset. I did not like that. I'm sure. It made me very upset. I mean, it makes Matt upset in retrospect when he sees that the town is full of starving people. Yeah, he's like, oh, my privileged self. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, he does mention that, like, one night he just went to sleep super hungry, and the next morning he woke up, and he wasn't more than a normal amount of hungry anymore. It's the just... healing munchies are gone. Yeah, really. Yeah, he shows us that he's no bloody hero while giving money away to... Refugees. To widows with orphans. It is very interesting how every woman needs to be described how pretty she is, though. She could have been pretty, or she was pretty, if she didn't look like she was starving, blah 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 blah. Her dark hair. Her large eyes. Yeah, I don't know that I would uh, give much credit to Jordan on that one. Is it just Matt being like, that's a pretty lady? Yeah. Oh, wait, she's not that pretty. Oh, it's because she's starving. Oh. It's like, I've been there. Here. Take this lots of money. Take this money. Uh, so they make their way into town, and Matt and Tom finally find a place willing to put them up in a stable for money. And Matt abuses his insane luck stat to also get two horses out of the deal. Matt, like, hit the tilde key and typed in to set his luck stat to max. Like, he... He can't lose. I'm just surprised that nobody was sent to rob them during the night. Because if you've been going around to each inn and advertising that you have the funds to pay, in that sort of situation, how can you not? get harassed well like they didn't even make it to nighttime they're only sitting in the stable for like an hour before they leave yeah i also noted that tom is very um affronted at the living conditions of this place he talks about how he's offended that they've resorted to eating horse and that the queen hasn't been sending food but you know this whole war was your fault right <laughs> Like, 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 you are the reason this is happening. Like, explicitly his fault. You just had to go and do it to him. Yeah, I forget when it gets talked about. I think it's, um, uh, Aludra. It's in this scene and she talks about how her life has been horribly changed because of this. And yeah. Tom looks a little guilty. Yeah, and she's like, you'd think that the guild blamed me for the king dying and for the whole night going crazy. And Tom, like... Is the meme of the weird puppet monkey, like, 
looking over its shoulder and then looking forward. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, so they finally are hanging out in a stable, and they've... Matt has, like, swindled the guy into giving them two horses. And so they're hanging out for, like, an hour, and a woman comes in, pulling a cart. And then four men enter and accost her. They're like, hey, Aludra, you're doing a bad. You think you can escape us? Yeah. And she's like, Tammuz, you great pig. (laughs) I'll stick you. And Matt springs into action. He, like... Literally grabs a rope and swings in and kicks a dude. Indiana Jones style. Yeah. Not a bloody hero, by the way. No, there's no heroes here. Um, Tom, like... He says before that his criteria is, I'll help anyone who can pay me. Yeah. And he later goes on to save and give money to someone. Yeah. Saves her and then pays her. (laughs) Um, Yeah. He's fun. Like... (laughs) Yeah, he is a hero. Hey, I wonder if that thing that Suan said about her uncle and Matt being the same is going to be accurate. Hmm. Call me back in 11 books when it's been accurate for the last 11 books. Uh, yeah, so Matt takes out all... Well, Matt and Tom take out all the guys. And then... Yeah, it's... Ludra and Tom have this conversation where Tom is definitely the cause of every problem that she has in her life. Uh, Eludra gives Matt some fireworks as thanks, telling him not to cut them open. They could explode, and Matt's like, I'm gonna open them. He's like, I'm gonna open them. And it talks about how he opened them in a past, too. Yeah. And, and he, he opened up a clock. Yeah. He's like, I could have put it back together. <laughs> It'd be fine. And if I couldn't do it, Perrin could do it. Yeah. Well, he, he's like, if I've lost any of the pieces, that would be... The only reason that I couldn't put it back together is if I lost some of the pieces. And if I lost some of the pieces, I'm sure Perrin could make them for me. And then I could just put it back together. <laughs> That's what the problem is. It's like... <sighs> Aludra notes that this whole bundle of fireworks put together could destroy a house, maybe. Yeah, it could blow up some sort of stone construction. Like oh. a, like at the wall of, of a house or, or some sort of large house, maybe. Hmm. What do you call a large house? Some sort of, like a, like a mansion or, no, bigger than that. All right, all right, all right. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Matt insists that he isn't going to cut the fireworks open and that he's not a bloody hero. And both Tom and Eludra look at him and then the chapter ends. They're like, look at this silly child. Yeah. In fact, I think she says that, right? She's like, no, he's young. young, isn't he? He's young. Yeah. And, and Tom then, says he is young, and not half so bad as he would like to think himself. Sometimes he is not. Hmm. Matt.jpg. Yeah, and Matt's like, it, I'm, it's not like I'm a hero, baka. She didn't try to take the money that I threw on the ground accidentally, so I'm going to give it to her. Yeah. Because she's a good person. So that brings to chapter 41, A Hunter's Oath. Perrin has almost arrived at the docks in Ilion, and oh gosh, was this an awkward trip. (laughs) Uh, Fayul and Moraine have pretty much just been staring at each other on the ship the entire time, and everybody on the ship is like, I want both of you gone, please. And Moraine has repeatedly threatened to snip them both from the pattern. Yeah. And Lan's like, oh Moraine, whatever do you mean? Do you not want me to sit here and watch you and guard you? 
I thought I was supposed to learn to laugh and smile since you're going to get rid of me when you throw yourself headlong into danger that I'm not allowed to save you from. Smile. And Moraine's like, you die too. (laughs) It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad for me because like Moraine needs to get along with ladies more. In my opinion. She doesn't get along with anyone. No. She's very focused. She's just like, everyone is not... Just just listen to me. Don't ask questions. I'm doing everything. Also, with the whole antagonizing Falcon, I feel like Falcon should have just introduced herself as Falcon. Well, she didn't know she had to be introduced as Falcon. She thought she could introduce herself as Blade. (laughs) Is, Is that what the other name means? Mandarb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's like, I'm Mandarb. It means blade. And parents are like, that's isn't it, the horse. Isn't it cool? <laughs> yeah. Parents are like, the, the horse is Mandarb. <laughs> she's like, oh, then I'm Fael. It means falcon. And parents are like, gun emoji. <laughs> but but doesn't she get called Zareen? That's her real name. Her real name is Zareen. Okay. Her real name is Zareen Bashir. Okay. And Rain commented in the last section that someone named Zareen is probably a real girly girl in the high courts. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I just, I just kind of found it funny with the whole name thing and also, like, you shouldn't have given your real name away, sweetie. Well, she had to think, she had to give something during the time when she was thinking of a better name. Although, I don't know why you wouldn't come up with, like, three names to run down the list, just in case. Yeah, so Moraine makes Fael swear an oath to obey and ask no questions before she's allowed to continue with the group. Uh, And then makes her parents' problem. (laughs) (laughs) I like that um, during this, Fael swears the first part. She's like, I'll obey. And about the questions thing, points at Perrin, is he allowed to ask questions? And Moraine just glares at her and she's like, okay, fine, no questions, whatever. Just wanted to check. Yeah, and then Moraine makes Fael parents' problem. And he's like, wait, wait, why? She's not my problem. I don't want her here. Like, and, and then Moraine's like, you're going to get her perched on you anyway, son. Yeah. Get used yeah, She to knows it. the prophecy. Yeah, like parents so indignant about it. I love it. And then Falcon's like, no, I'm not. Their chemistry isn't bad, like. Perrin and Fael's? No. No, Fael's really good. Yeah, whenever Robert Jordan isn't using her as, like, an annoying plot device later on. Hmm, don't think about that. <laughs> also, Perrin being like, I was never bullied like this at home. Yeah, and then he lists five women that bullied him. <laughs> He's like, well, I mean, I guess she got all the things she wanted, and I guess I'd do what she said, and, I mean, I guess, oh. Yeah, he's like... The wife of my master. Oh, and I guess Egwene was a bull. Oh, and in it. Oh, and oh, and, like and Iggy's mom. Yeah, like he just keeps pulling more out. He's like, well, none besides them. But and the women's circle. Right at the end, he lists like the group of every woman in their town. Like he's such an idiot. I love him. Uh, yeah, and then there's more banter between Fiel and Perrin before the end of the chapter, and I. I like fighting. They're fun. Yeah. Uh, It's chapter 42, Easing the Badger. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? (laughs) It's another mark on the tavern count. Yeah. 
So they're making their way through the streets of Ilian, with Lan pointing out that something's off about the place. The people are constantly on edge and angry. One in four or five is angry. Yeah. Which is more than the normal number, apparently. If 20% of your people are angry. Uh, they arrive at the place they'll be staying at. One thing. Um, on the way there, Perrin is talking to Loyal, and he doesn't want to bring up stuff that Fael doesn't already know, but it's kind of impossible. Mm -hmm. And then Loyal talks about traveling the ways, and Fael is like, excuse me? Yeah, uh, they keep talking about stuff where she's like, one more time? <laughs> what was that? Did you, did you really say that? Are you saying what I think you said? Yeah, there's a part later where Perrin's like, yeah. we know Rand is the dragon reborn. She's like, he's the what? She's like, what did you just say? What was that? And then with Matt and the horn, she's like, I'm a hunter of the horn. Someone's already found the horn? And blown it? He's already blown it? Yeah. Using Fael as a way to reframe all the exposition is fun. Yeah. How old is Fael? What Fael? A fascinating question. Falcon. I'll probably just call her Falcon. I think she's supposed to be just like a little older than Perrin. Like maybe like 20. Don't look at the top of that page. It has a spoiler in it. Beyond's reading the spoiler. I can't read that. Oh, thank God. I have bad eyesight. It does not say how I, old she is. I can barely read the thing that oh, says history. You know what? It says 81. So 19. So she's 18. And yeah, the boys are 19. So she's... Because her tone younger. makes her sound younger. Yeah, she's one year younger. She sounds almost childlike. That so I was looking for. she's canonically tall, dark, and handsome? Basically. But like, legit dark, not just like brunette? I mean, all the characters are ambiguously dark, except for the Irish ones. Well, she's from, she's from the Borderlands. Which are less like, ambiguous <laughs> yeah asian coded the borderlands yeah uh At but least also culturally. later on this I'll, I'll just skip ahead a little bit later well, on fail is like very unbelieving about the different kinds of shadow spawn that they're running into but aren't you from saldea where you're dealing with shadow spawn all the time don't think about it whatever i what think they princess? i think they say that she had to stay in the palace most of the time Anyway, we'll talk about we get, it later. We get a lot about how Saldea is a warrior culture later. <laughs> we'll give it a Cinema Sins ding later. <laughs> oh no, I Cinema Sins that. Oh no. So they arrive at Easing the Badger, and it's clear that Moraine has been here before. After settling into his room, Perrin goes back to the common room to talk with Loyal, and things are weird. He's like, the Ogier were here... But then they left, and Ogier don't leave unless they don't get paid, and the Ogier were getting paid, so it's really strange that they just left in the middle of their work. It's not normal for them. And then they have a dinner of fish, which Fael hates. I feel you. Wow. I just found that funny because falcons eat fish. Well, yeah, it's like her name doesn't fit her very well. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, 
after that dinner when they're snacking on cheeses and they get interrupted. It's basically a crime. <laughs> uh, a group of gray men attack. They're carrying daggers. Yeah, it's really hard to take gray men seriously at this point. This is like the fourth gray man assassination in a row we've seen like thwarted really easily. I mean, it would be tough for a gray man to assassinate one of the main characters and just like have it go on. Also, because we as the reader cannot ever be given information about the gray men without like, right? If they tell us that the gray men are there, then that has to be the end of the situation. In POV. Yeah. When the Grey Men are all dead, Lan and Moraine have a quiet conversation in which she says she has to go on a task alone, and she might die, and if she does, Lan is supposed to take Perrin uh, to the White Tower. And Lan is so mad. Lan's like, why's it gotta be like that? Also, another note. Uh, I've talked repeatedly about how violence just sort of slides off people's back in this series. Mm-hmm. And it, just it like even a- applies... <laughs> it even applies to the secondary characters. Like, this tavern keeper's like, I never, uh, uh, she's Ileana, so she talks weird. I did never have even one killing in the Badger before. Billy, clear these out into the canal and put down fresh sawdust. Just drag them out. And the day laborers are just like sitting there next to the corpses, like spitting on them. Yeah, people don't like clear out afterwards. The girl who's singing keeps on singing. It's like, I don't know if this is supposed to be a world-building thing or if it's just how Robert Jordan writes people, but people just don't care when they see violence in the series. Yeah. Violence is inherent to their culture? Something-something medieval times, something-something violent. I mean, like, I feel like if you saw a bunch of people die, you would at least clear out of the tavern. A half dozen people die, very suddenly. One of them via fireball. (laughs) Worth noting. And everybody's just super chill with it, I guess. Uh, So chapter 43, Shadow Brothers. After Moraine leaves, Lan says he's going to check around the inn and asks Perrin and Loyal to come with him, and Fael invites herself. Uh, Once out there, they discover the tracks of something called a Dark Hound. And Lan implies something fishy's going on if he and Moraine can't sense them. Um, so Darkhounds smell like sulfur, and they leave paw prints in stone. By the way, there was a paw print in the stone earlier in this book, because the Darkhounds were hunting Rand. Rand also talks about weird dog-like creatures that he has to destroy with a bar of some sort of molten light earlier in the book. The bad doggos. The bad doggos had to... They got the big shot collar, if you know what I mean. But they aren't doggos, because when Perrin tries to reach out with his doggo sense... They're evil doggos. They're evil shadows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lan says that they're harder to kill than Merdral. Yeah. So... Or like is it because they're, they're more shadowy, whereas Merdrals are still kind of human-ish? So Merdrals are like half human half whatever shadow magic whereas actually i forget what dark hounds are are they just shadow magic i think the idea is that like it's easier to put a dark hound down but once you have it down you need something like stronger than just a sword to actually like permanently kill it it like requires the power because how do you kill a shadow well it's not that 
shadowy, but yes. A flashlight? A flashlight. Well, they haven't invented flashlights yet. Just fireballs. Somebody get a Ludra in here. Maybe she can throw a firework at it. So, Lan leaves to go and find Moraine. The rest of the group decides to get some sleep. Uh, Perrin's dreams are fitful and mildly prophetic, and then he finally makes it to the wolf dream, and he's asking Hopper about... Hopper, are you up there? Hopper. He's just yelling the word Hopper. Hopper, where are you? And then he's like, Matt, no, don't. That's the You're dicing with balls, I'm on. (laughs) I wonder what that could mean. Uh, yeah, and Hopper, when Perrin talks about the Dark Hounds, Hopper's like, Dark Hounds, where? You gotta wake up and go kill some Dark Hounds, my dude. Uh, so Perrin wakes up, and Fayil was watching him sleep. She was feeling Edward Cullen-ish. Just really fascinated by him. She continues to be intrigued by him, uh, and then they talk for a bit. She notes that he doesn't have hair on his chest. Yeah, she's like, you could do with a little more hair on your chest, which... Gross? I mean, there's a lot of gross stuff in these books (laughs) with the male-female stuff. Gross. Are we just starting the gross train now? No, it's always been gross. That that remark just felt unnecessarily gross to me. Don't worry. It's gonna get worse. Even if you're trying to tease somebody, it just feels weird to tease that. Well, she, like, teases him into changing other stuff about himself as time goes on. So don't worry about it. Fahil is mysterious. Fahil is mysterious, but I like her. Sometimes. Oftentimes. There's just that one stretch of, like, four books where she's really bad. Um, So they talk for a bit, and then Moraine returns and tells them that Samael is in charge of Ilian. Which, hey, that's not great. He's one of the Forsaken. Did I pronounce it right? I think so. Sammy. Please don't. Sam Sam. No, not that. Samuel. That one's definitely wrong. Uh, It's chapter 44, Hunted. Another generic name for a chapter. Uh, Moraine makes them grab their stuff to leave ASAP after Fael agrees to stay with them. As they leave, Perrin accidentally reveals that they know who the Dragon Reborn is, which we mentioned. And Fael is now- Go to r slash wetlander humor. Yeah, and Fael is now absolutely no longer allowed to leave. The point of no return. Yeah. You've gone past it. Yeah, as soon as Perrin says that and Fael reacts, Moraine's like, okay, you can't go anymore. You're out of chances. Uh- and then, yes, they revealed that Matt both had and blew the horn, which, great. And Fael's very unhappy. Yeah. Um, they make their way to a defensible hill away from other people and wait for the ten dark hounds to arrive. Um, Perrin pulls out his bow and lands like, you're free to try, but don't hold your breath. And pulls his sword, saying that most of the fight will be up to Moraine. Um, Perrin manages to put three arrows into one of them, which puts it down, but once the hounds are close enough, Moraine uses Balefire, and by the time that Perrin can see again, they're gone. Why does Moraine say that she could be uh, stilled for using it? That's a fascinating question. Magic. You're not supposed to use Balefire. Wonder if we'll find out why in the future. Does it eat at your magic soul? Wonder if we'll find out why. In the, why? In it, wonder if we'll find out why. In Are the you future. attacking with your 
your thread. We're going to find out later in the future. Do you have a final guess? I, I'm sure it has something to do with your weaving thread. Well, we'll huh. find out in the next book. Moraine makes it explicit why you don't use Balefire. Even though the Aeol know it as a thing that the Ace died do. Well, only in, It's something that they used to do. Yeah, only in the sense that they know that the two words are connected, but they don't know what Balefire is. Mm. And then they've just threw something out. Like, Moraine so far is the only one who both knows what it is, how to do it, and what it does. <laughs> Everybody Rand else. and the knave have both used it without understanding it. Yeah. They both just know that you throw it at something and that thing is gone. It's a big fire. Yeah. Extremely effective. Um, Some now, might uh, say the most effective thing you could possibly do. I dislike how there's not much distinction between the point of view changes. There's not even really a it's it's a paragraph oh ends and the next paragraph starts. No, how you format your story really impacts how the readers perceive it. I think if I handed you one of the physical books, you would see that there is a bigger page break. I think it's just a problem with A, the Kindle version, and B, the font size that you use. Because the font size is so small that the page breaks are going to be tiny too. Anyways, it displeased me. I It's, it's only your problem. <laughs> like, you self-inflict this. Anyway, uh, they get back on their horses and they're like, time to go to Tyr. Um, we cut to Matt and Tom, who are settled around a fire late at night. Uh, Matt's doing that thing where he cuts open the fireworks and he like scoops the powder out and throws it into the fire to see what happens. Why didn't what it make lab? a bang? Yeah. Tom's like, you're stupid. <laughs> Like, Tom's like, are you actually this stupid? Like, in real life, are you this stupid, unironically? And Matt's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, it didn't make a bang. I don't know what you're bothered. Like, I've opened it now, so I don't need to open the rest. Yeah. Matt's like, my curiosity is sated. So, a group of four approaches, uh, one woman and three men, asking to share the fire for the night. And they're very obviously thieves. Uh, so Matt and Tom defend themselves. And all but one are left dead. Uh, the one that Matt hit in the head with the staff. And they decide to keep riding instead of staying with the corpses for the night. This was interesting just in comparison to an earlier chapter where um, Iggy keeps holding on to the magic power because you don't want to underestimate a woman. Um, whereas Matt's like, I mean, she's kind of cute. And I have her at a position where she can't really do anything. Like, let's keep her alive. And then Tom's like, look at the dagger she was holding. Yeah, we'll have issues with this going forward. Yeah, where the three boys don't kill women. Rand mostly, but the others kind of. And then most of the women who are deadly are feeling very deadly. Yeah, basically. So that does it for this section. Action-packed. Which, just continuing the violence against people thing, if people are immune to six people casually dying in a tavern, but they're dudes, would it be different if six ladies were suddenly dead? Who knows? If I mean, it would make a scared. difference for Rand yeah. and Matt and Perrin. But, like, Ilianers might not care about that. 
So it might be a two rivers who totally aren't and or I don't know what you're doing looking at that map. I mean, two rivers definitely like two rivers definitely cares about killing women. It's not necessarily established how the how other places feel. But two rivers is the one that's explicitly like do not harm women. I mean, it's interesting with the uh, maidens of the spear, like you're totally clear to kill a maiden of the spear who's also trying to kill you, but maidens of the spear don't kill each other. Yeah. Honor among women or something. The way that that one black Aja should have been, but she wasn't because she was too busy worshiping the bad guy. Which one? The one where I was like, where's the Lady Solidarity? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was Leandrin. not... She, Leandrin was not being a sword maiden. No, because she turned in the other girls. Or the Wonder Squad to the Shanchan. Yeah. There's a lot wrong with Leandrin. There's a lot wrong with the gender relations in this series. Yes. Um. Do they go more into the don't hurt women thing in the sense of why they're raised that way or is it just uh, like Mm. girls are delicate need to protect them i don't remember if they get into there isn't much why i just i know that that in and of itself is a core uh point of rand's character for multiple books is his feelings on hurting and killing women because i could see part of it if uh with like wild Ace die potentials, whatever. Don't hurt a lady, or she's gonna trigger into this magical witch. No, it's not. It's the knave like, takes care of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not one of those where it's oh. like a, a continent wide thing. Like it's a two reverse culture specific issue. Because other people call them out on it. Other people are like, women can. What be are you doing? Yeah, like women will kill you just as easily as a man get your head in the game and the boys are like no but don't hurt women though i mean we've already seen some major female antagonists and major female protagonists who are more than willing to end your life they're so ready like there's a lot of anger yeah i don't think it's ever presented as anything except the boys being too chivalrous to live also I know it was stated that earth and fire tend to be the male gendered elements, but Aggie seems to only be setting things on fire. And if Elaine crushed the people to death, that generally implies earth, at least in Mm -hmm. my mind. She crushes them with air. Yeah, they like to crush people with air. Yeah, Egwene, I think, likes using the fire, but she is really good with earth. Okay. Yeah. The the Sean John specifically said she's like Earth affinity. Yeah. Is this the thing where you told me about why this is so cool? Because there's two people who channel differently. Like there's a man who has to channel, but like a lady does, and vice versa. Or is this a different series you were trying to get me? To I read? have no idea what you're talking about. It was something about how they were reborn into a different body. But it was a guy, but it was born in a female body. Yep, yep, that's the series. That's the series? Okay, now that you have clarified, and yes, that is this series. That's this series, okay. But I think you're... You'll understand when we get there. Okay. It's not nearly as progressive as you sound like you think it is. It is not a trans narrative. No, it's in fact pretty much 
the exact opposite. Is it like you're in a lady's body, you're a lady? It's... We'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. Your body and soul. We'll get to it. Oof. Well, that was great. Jesse, where can people find us? People can find us at our Twitter, at Wheel Reading. We'll have the link in the description. And if you leave any review for our podcast on iTunes, it makes it a lot easier for people to find us. We really appreciate it. Reach out to us however you feel. We like hearing from people that listen to the podcast. Yeah. Um, well, cool. This has been The Third Wheel. I'm Tyler. I'm Beyond. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time.